Amen. Thank you, Ike. Well, good morning. All right. Can I be the first to officially say from up here, Merry Christmas? Some of you are very excited about that. Others of you have been celebrating already since the beginning of November because some local radio station decided it would be a good idea the day after, uh, the day after Halloween to start playing Christmas music. And I would surf through the channels, and all of a sudden I would hear Frank Sinatra or, or you know, the 12 Days of Christmas. And I was like, oh, this is a little, it's a little early for me. Um, but Christmas is a, a wonderful time of year, and especially for those who, who know Christ. Um, we have a hope that the world does not have. Now, Christmas can be full of, of hope, right? Um, I can remember as a kid, I can remember as soon as Thanksgiving was over, I can remember making a list of everything I wanted. Kids, do you guys, do you guys make a list of things that, that you want? Yeah? Um, some people do, some people don't. I, I made a list. It was probably, my wife will vouch for this, it's probably the only list that I ever, ever made, okay? My wife is a lister. She loves lists. She loves checking things off the list. Me, I'm kind of like, if the mood hits me right, I'll get it done. Um, and most of you know that about me. Um, but um, I made a list, and at the top of my list, every year was one thing, and I never got it. The one thing that was at the top of my list, who could guess? Any kids, can you guess what the one thing I wanted and never got was? I'll give you a hint. I have it now, okay, because I'm old enough. What do you think it was? Did somebody say a dog? It was a dog. I wanted a dog with everything that I had. Now, I had wonderful Christmases. I got gifts that I didn't even expect I would get. Uh, this right here, not this whole drum set, but this drum right here, I'm stealing it from you, Jaden, sorry. This drum right here was part of the greatest gift that I ever got as a child, and I didn't even ask for it. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a blip on the radar that this could be possible, that I could get my very own drum set. But my parents surprised me one Christmas morning with this gift. And I remember the anticipation, the waiting for, for December 25th, the begging my parents the night before, can't we just open one gift? Now, I'm, not, I'm not very good at waiting. I will tell you that. It's, it's a struggle of mine. Um, the first year that we were married, right, Julie? I asked my wife, I said, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Again, the day after Halloween, I asked her, what do you want for Christmas? She says, eh, trash can. And I looked at her, and I was like, a trash can? Come on, like, this is, this is the moment to ask. Like, ask big. Like, I'll go get us a trash can if we need a trash can. I went out, and I bought her so many gifts. And guess what? I couldn't wait until... December 25th. I think we actually, our first year that we were married, our first full year, I think we had Christmas in November. Um, I just couldn't wait. I was so excited. Well, this morning we're going we're gonna to start a new series and we're going to talk about hope. 
in this, in this first day of our series, but we're going to celebrate Advent here. And you say to me, Billy, uh, Advent, okay, um, you know, I may have heard that word before. It's not something that we did uh, last year or, or the year before. We didn't go through a series covering the topics of, of Advent here, but this year we're, we're going to do it. And you might even say to yourself, well, that's not really who our, our church is. Like, that's more of like a Presbyterian thing or, or maybe even a Catholic thing to, to celebrate this time of Advent. But really what we're doing is we're going to focus on four areas over these next four weeks in the coming hope of our king. So what does the word Advent mean? Well, it basically just means coming. It's the coming of a notable person or event. We are going to celebrate the coming of our Lord into the world the first time. And why do I say the first time? Because there are two Advents. There is the first coming of Christ, which we celebrate at his birth. We look back and we can celebrate that first Advent. But there is a second Advent to celebrate as well. And that is his second coming. And this is the hope that we have now, that we look forward to. So the four topics that we're going to cover in in the Advent series are hope, joy, peace, and love. Four topics that the Bible really doesn't have a whole lot to say about, right? No. These are huge topics. These are the, uh, the foundation. These themes are found throughout all of Scripture. So this morning we're going to be a little more uh, topical than we usually are. I, I have picked a passage to kind of settle in on. But we're going to look at the book of Isaiah. We're going to go a little bit into the book of Matthew. And then we're going to end up in the book of, of Romans here. And we're going to talk about this idea of hope. But as we're going through these, uh, these four characteristics here, here's what I would like you to keep in mind. Hope, joy, peace, and love. They characterize the heart condition of the people of God in response to the promises of God, not the circumstances of this world. Hope, Joy, peace, and love are heart conditions. This is the heart attitude of the people of God in response to the promises of God, not the circumstances of this world. So, we have two Advents. The first Advent, the second Advent. And this week we are talking about hope. And we live in between these two Advents here. But we're going to start with before the first advent. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. And we're going to back up a little bit this morning. Cindy so graciously read to us from Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to get a little bit of background into what God is trying to communicate through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Jerusalem, to the southern kingdom, to Judah, And we pick it up in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 5 here. It says, Let me sing a song for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
He dug it and cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now we have a a poem or a song here that the Lord is speaking to Isaiah here. A prophecy that he is speaking to Isaiah. It's almost a parable, right? God says, listen, there's a vineyard, okay? And I have prepared this vineyard. And in this vineyard, what I've done is I've chosen the very best place for this vineyard. I chose fertile ground. I put it on a hill. It wouldn't get flooded. I prepared the place for this vineyard. He says, I dug it and cleared it of stones. He said, I, I, I prepared the ground. Not only did I find the place, but I also prepared the ground. This fertile ground had stones in it, and I knew that those stones would be a problem, so I removed them. And then I planted the choicest of vines. The very best. I chose them. I picked them out and I put them in the vineyard. I built a watchtower in the midst of it. I protected it. I made sure that that everything was going going to be done according to the way that I wanted it to be done. And I hewed out a wine vat in it. Who knows what a wine vat is? Anybody know what a wine vat is? It's a, it's a vessel. It's a place to hold wine. What God is saying here is, listen, I had an expectation, okay? When I planted, uh, when, I, when I chose the ground, when I cleared it of stones, there was a, an expectation, a future expectation here that something was going to happen. And once it happened, once those grapes were ready for harvest, I needed to do something with them. I prepared for a future event that when I got these grapes, I would be able to make wine and store it. This is a beautiful picture of what God has done for the nation of Israel. He says, listen, Israel, you once were not a people. I'm going to make you a people. I am going to give you the choicest of lands I am going to give you fertile ground, land that is flowing with what? Milk and honey. I'm going to give you the very best of the best. And guess what? When you get there, I'm going to clear it of stones. How did God clear the land of stones? Anybody anybody have a guess? There were people in the land, right? Did God say, listen, I'm going to remove those people. Did he remove those people? He did remove those people. He cleared the land for them. And he says, I chose the best. These these seeds, they didn't come to me and say, hey, I'm great. I'm the best. No, I picked Abraham. I picked Abram. I chose out of the entire world what I wanted in my vineyard. And he's saying to them, you are my people. 
He said, if that wasn't enough, I put a watchtower. I gave you my word. I gave you promises. I gave you sacrifice. I protected you from what? From my own wrath. That you could cover your sin with the sacrifices and the law of Moses. He goes on. He says, if that wasn't enough, the expectation I had of what I would get, I prepared a vessel that would hold all of the grapes that I was going to get. See, God prepares a place for us even in the future. And for his people, he had a place for them. And God says, I expected grapes. But what did I get? I got wild grapes. Now listen, not a farmer, okay? He's going to tell you that, right? Paul knows. Paul, where did I grow up? Well, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I grew up in the, in the greatest city in the world. I grew up in Philly. I lived in South Jersey for a time. But I grew up in Philly. There may be one or two farms in Philly. I ain't eating anything that comes out of that ground, okay? Um, I'm not eating anything that comes out of there. But I am, not, I am not a farmer. I didn't grow up around farms or anything. I can honestly say that I've never seen a wild grape, okay? I don't know what a wild grape looks like. All right? I know what a grape looks like. I assume that most grapes are wild. I don't know. Like, I just, I think, you know, that's a grape. It's great. But God had an expectation for a very specific harvest. And he didn't get it. This word here um, in verse uh, 2 here, uh, it's going to be repeated again in verse 4. But it says he looked for it. Now this word here is a Hebrew word. And it's keva. Say that with me, keva. Keva is, a, is an unusual word. Um, ke is the word for cord in Hebrew here. And this idea of looking for is the idea of a cord being stretched out. And the tension that's created. The expectation how many of you guys uh, have, have studied energy in, uh, in science class? Clark, you studied energy in science class? Yeah, probably. Do you know the different kinds of energy here? No? No? Bryce, you? No? Ella? Well, this is the, that is a type of energy. It's not this energy. This would be kinetic energy. That's kinetic energy, right? It's awesome. I got, the, I got the microphone and everything, right? It's like, whoosh. It's like Indiana Jones up here. Potential energy, right? Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Uh, Page here, uh, physical therapist, if you have any needs. Um, but yes, yes, the energy of potential. This idea of kavah is a hopeful expectation in a future event. But there's a tension. There is a tension. Something isn't exactly right. And what God is saying here is, listen, I'll just, I'll just read in verse 3 here. He's going to give us the interpretation here. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, 
judge between me and my vineyard. I'm going to put you in the place. You make the call. You tell me. What more was there to do in my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it or hoped for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? See, in Romans, later on in this message, we're going to see that our God is the God of hope. But our God is also sovereign. See, our God was hoping for good grapes, but his hope was not in the grapes. Our God's hope is not in man. Our God's hope is in himself. See, a biblical view of hope is not just a happy optimism, okay, that everything's going to work out, all right? It's not just this, hey, everything's great, and and everything's going to be good, and in every situation, I'm going to find that sliver of, of goodness here. It's not wishful thinking. This is another case of, of, of our English language um, being woefully insufficient at times, right? Um, I can hope that I... I don't know. Um, I can hope that, uh, that Billy someday gets a good job. I can hope that, right? Um, I can hope that after church today, um, I'm going to have pizza. Um, I can hope in all of these things. My challenge to you is count how many times this week you use the word hope. We use it all the time for so many different things. It's the same thing with joy. It's the same thing with happiness. It's the same thing with love. It's the same thing, you know, with, with so many verses in, in Scripture here. But it distorts this idea of where our hope should actually be. See, the other aspect of this idea of hope is this idea of waiting. Waiting patiently. Now, we love to celebrate waiting, right? I mean, how many of us have been to uh, an amusement park in the last five years, right? I mean, we're, we're excited. We're like, yeah, I'm going to ride the roller coasters. And then you get there, and what do you do? You wait. You wait in line most of the time. This Hebrew word, kavah, is this tension in the waiting. This, this, I almost said hopeful, used the same word in the definition. Don't do that. This anticipated expectation. But when we think about our hope in God, it's more than that. It is an unfailing trust in the promises of God. An unfailing trust in the promises of God. Let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. This is the verse that we read this morning. And we're going to look at a few key aspects here. Remember I said, as we're going through Advent here, we're looking at the heart condition of people. What is the heart condition? Where is their heart? Uh, Matthew tells us that, uh, that where our, our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Right? Matthew chapter 6 tells us that. Where is Ahaz's heart? 
That's what we're going to see. Where are the people of Jerusalem? Where is their heart? So in verse 1 here, it says, In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Where is the king and the people's heart? It's shaking like a leaf. It is in fear and despair. Why? Well, the, the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom's coming down, and now they've, they've actually joined forces with Syria. I've got two kings that are coming down to attack me. Now, Ahaz um, was pretty much of the mindset that he was going to continue uh, the regime of his father. And, and one of the uh, staples of the regime of his father is that if the northern kingdom was for it, we're against it. That's what he was thinking. Now, the real problem that they have is not just these two kingdoms to the north. The real kingdom is a much larger kingdom. That's the big boy on the block. And that is Assyria. And what the kingdom of the north, Israel, and Syria are trying to do is they're trying to coerce, bully, manhandle the southern kingdom in joining them so that they can take on the big boy, Assyria. And Ahaz sees this and he says, nope, guess what I'm going to do instead? And we read about this in, in 2 Chronicles. Guess what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to send some gold and silver over to Assyria and say, you know what, Assyria, you fight with me. You know what, they think they have a plan and an idea. Boom, I'm going to play a trump card here. I'm going to go right around you and I'm going to one-up you here. I'm going to get the big boy on my side. But not yet. See, the word comes down to the house of David. And they hear that these two kingdoms are coming down. And they're scared. They're in despair. Verse 3, the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and your son Shear Jezhub. Your son at the end, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of the conduit um, in the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. What do we learn about our God here? Our God knew the heart condition of the king and the people. He tells Isaiah, he said, listen, the people have come and told the king. The word of the people has come to the king's ears, and the word of the people has caused him to grow faint, to be scared, to be in fear and despair. 
God says to Isaiah, you go and you bring my word. And he says, I know you're scared. He says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart grow faint. Little free nugget here, okay? When God tells you to do something, do it. Okay? This is, this is the Bible 101. Okay? You read it in there. It's a command of God. Guess what? Do it. Ahaz, he's a little thick. All right? He's a little thick in the head. He says, don't be afraid of these two smoldering stumps. So the idea here is a, a tree that's already burned down. A firebrand, something that's just smoldering on the ground here. Don't be afraid of them. Verse 5 says, Because Syria with Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabiel as king in its midst. Uh, set up uh, the son of Tabiel, the king in its midst. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not Come to place. Again, something we learn about our God. Not only does he know the hearts of his people, not only does he know what, what his people are going through and dealing with, he already knows the plans of the enemy. He already knows the plans of the enemy. How do we know this? Verse 8, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within, 50, uh, within 65 years, Ephraim will be scattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The question we have to ask, why is Ahaz afraid? Why is he afraid? God is on his side. God is speaking to him through the prophet Isaiah. The northern kingdom doesn't have this. Syria doesn't have this. Assyria doesn't have this. Ahaz has the words of God. Why is he scared? Well, I, think there's, I think there's some keys here. The first reference that we have to someone being spoke to is that the word came to where? The house of David. Do you know the word son is mentioned nine times in this passage? You know what Ahaz is afraid of? He's afraid that what ha what's happened in the northern kingdom is going to happen in the southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, what happened during a battle is the king's son died. Not only did the king's son die, the king's greatest general died as well. Ahaz is so concerned with his line and his lineage. And he says, nope, I'm going to do it my way. Lord, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But hey, guess what? I got this.
If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Right before that, uh, God gives this like little poem here. And he says, listen, uh, I'll just read it here. He says, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass, for the head of Assyria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is, is uh, resin, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be scattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. What is God doing here? He says, listen, I know where all these places are. I know who's in charge. Listen, they may put their hope in these places, in their nations, in their powers. But what are they compared to me? Ahaz, have you seen Damascus? Do you know where it is? Ahaz, have you seen Samaria? Do you know where it is? Have you seen Remaliah? Have you seen all of these men? Ahaz, have you seen me. Have you seen my dwelling place? Put your hope in what you do not see. Put your hope in my promises. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put my Lord, uh, my Lord God to the test. Remember what we said earlier? When God tells you to do something, what are you supposed to do? Do it! Don't put your theology cap on. Okay? Don't say, oh Lord, no, no, no. I, I could never ask for a sign. God said ask for a sign. Guess what you were supposed to do? Ask for a sign. He's going to go on here. He's going to say, not only have you now wearied two kings, you've wearied men, you've wearied your God. When God asks you to do something, you do it. You don't look for the loophole. Ahaz is sitting here and he's like, oh, no, I'm not supposed to ask for a sign. God said to ask. Ask for anything you want. Low as hell, as high as heaven. Ask for anything you want. So God takes over. And he says, okay. Verse 13. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men? That you weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse that we've heard countless times, right? How many of you know that, knew that this was the, the context in which this verse comes, a war, despair, hopelessness, wild grapes, right? Why is it here? We have to ask that question, why here? Why now? What was Ahaz afraid of? His line. His son. 
that my son would be sitting on the throne. And what does God do? God says, listen, you've wearied men. Now you've wearied God. I will give you the sign. And the sign is this, that my son will be on the throne. Ahaz, you're, you're just a piece of the puzzle here. You're so concerned about your son sitting on the throne, I'm going to cause a virgin to give birth. And he will be my son. And he will be on the throne. This is a promise from our God. We can look back at Matthew um, chapter 1 verse 9. And we can see right there that as we read in verse 1 here, Ahaz is in the line. He's there. He's in Mary's line. He says, you're so concerned with a son give you a daughter. <laughs> How you like that? And I will be his father. He will be called God with us. Emmanuel. This is the promise. But Isaiah's not done. Isaiah wants to wrap this section up. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 11 here. Isaiah 8, 11 says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy. All this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait For the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. The whole of the house of Israel, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, all of God's people, the wild grapes that the vineyard produced, they're stuck in fear. The fear of man, the fear of war despair. All of the troubles of this world are crashing down upon them. And prophet Isaiah says, listen, fear the Lord. The righteous will fear the Lord. Their dread will be in him. Not in Damascus, not in Syria, not in any king that's going to come down, not even in Assyria, the big boy on the block. I'm bigger than all of them. So many times, though, we're like Ahaz, and we're like, you know what, God? You got a lot on your plate. I got this. I'm good. My dad did it this way. I'm going to do it this way. Lord, I don't need a sign. I got it. Just let me do it. 
Let me do me because guess what? I love me some me. All right? I know I can handle it. What a wrong thing to say. I got this. How many times from this pulpit did we hear Pastor Don use a phrase? He would say, God's got this, right? God's got this. We don't have it. Just a blip in the radar. My hope is not in myself. My hope is not in my power or my strength or my striving. My hope is in the Lord. He uses uh, some imagery here and he says, uh, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel, a snare and a trap in all of Jerusalem. It is easy for us to start making some connections, right? Those of us who know Christ, who was born of a virgin, who would be called Emmanuel, God with us, who would be both the cornerstone and the capstone, the stone that the builders rejected. Where is your hope? Isaiah says at the end, go ahead, Israel. Go ahead. Keep doing you. As for me, I will wait. As for my disciples, we will wait. I'm going to trust with confidence the promises of the Lord and wait on him. God wanted good grapes. He wanted his people to put their hope, their confident trust in his promises and wait on him. He wanted them to know his word and his promises were for God's glory and their benefit. His people were hopeless on their own. When left to their own devices, Unfortunately for the people of God, this is not a unique place to be. Where are my two guys? Come on up here. Remember our word for hope? Right? Who remembers what the word is? It's on your outline. What is it? Keva, right? This tension here. See, what would happen is that all throughout the Bible the world would see a problem and they would laugh at it. They'd say, God, how can you do this? How can you survive? With Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sinned. It was foolishness that they've sinned. How could man be redeemed from this sin? God promised a seed. In Abraham, God promised a nation from old people a nation that would bring blessing to the entire world. In Moses, God said, listen, I'm going to provide you a law, a law that will, that will make, a, make room for sacrifice for you to cover your sins. In Samuel, he says, to, da he says to, to David, I will make you a king and your lineage will be a king. He promises a king will sit on the throne. And at the first advent, we celebrate this. We celebrate the fact that God came down to earth. 
Emmanuel, the one who could save us from our sins, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one of whom it is said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the first advent that we celebrate. This is our God of hope. And he took all of that hope to the cross. Our hope is in Christ. By his wounds we are what? Healed. Foolishness to the world. How could a perfect God, you guys can have a seat, how could a perfect God die? How could, how could he save so many others? He did not save himself. It was foolishness. How could God let his perfect son suffer? It was foolishness to the world. Yet our hope. And we stand now between two advents. We stand behind, between the first coming and the second coming. But why two? Why didn't Jesus just take care of everything in one shot? I mean, that's what, that's what the people wanted, right? They wanted the government to be on his shoulders. They wanted him to come in and overthrow Rome. They wanted this to happen. Why not just one? Why two, God? You know what the answer is? For his glory, for our benefit. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Why two advents? Because our God is true. Because his promises are true. He needs to fulfill everything that he says. It is for his glory. He is worthy to be trusted. His word is worthy to be trusted. Ahaz didn't get this. The people of Israel, both houses, didn't get this. Verse 9, And in order that the Gentiles may glorify God, for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. I'm just going to make a, make a, a pause here. Uh, how many of you guys are, are Gentiles in this room here? Okay, raise your hand. Good job. Okay. Uh, for our Gentiles, among the Gentiles, we sing his name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And all the peoples extol him. And Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Why did there need to be two advents? For God's glory, and raise your hand. Raise your hand, everybody raise your hand. For our benefit. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, God makes reference to a people who are not his people. A time when the Gentiles would come 
and they would be able to worship. They would not only be able to worship, but they would be able to put their hope in God. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Dr. Sayer, what's that word? Farctate. You may abound in hope. I'm not going to say it again because I'm going to say something wrong. But you may abound in hope, right? The God of hope. The author and finisher of our faith. The God who makes a promise and he keeps it. What does hope produce? Well, we're going to find out in the next two weeks. Joy and peace in believing. The Lord does what he says he is going to do. Abide in waiting on the Lord. One more verse in in Romans, I think. Yes, one more verse in Romans. Romans chapter 8. The question we now need to ask, okay, Jesus is our hope. We've, We've figured that out. Jesus is our hope. But what else do we have to hope for that he is going to do? See, this world is a tough place, and and Paul's going to reiterate that here. He says in verse 18 of chapter 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation awaits with eager longing. Again, this idea of expectation, this idea of waiting, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to, to futility or vanity, not willing, but because of him who was subjected to it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together with the pangs of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what they see, but we hope for what we do not see, and we wait for it with patience. I know what many of you are thinking at the end of this verse here. Hope sounds a lot like faith, right? Hope and faith are irrevocably, it's another word that I can't say, intertwined. The best example that I can give for you is that these are almost the same exact words, Except hope has a little more focus on the future. A little more focus on the future. It is the motivation behind our faith. It is the gut, emotion, reaction that we have. Hope is what we have. And what do we hope for? 
We hope for that day when we see Christ again. Whether that be the redemption of our souls, the death of this earthly vessel, this, this sarks, this body of sin, this body of pain and anguish, or it's the second coming of our Savior. That is the hope that we have. That when we die, we will not die. We will be with him forever. The hope of glory. Paul says here, it's not just us that hope. It's all of creation that's groaning. When death came into this world, it didn't just affect human beings. What did I want as a kid growing up? A dog. I love my dog. I love him to death. He's going to die someday. Now, according to my standard, he's definitely sinful. Okay? He deserves to die. Okay? But am I going to cry like a little baby? I'm going to cry like a little baby. I cried the first time my dog died. One of my best friends in Ohio, I went with him to put his dog down. I didn't think it was going to be a problem. It was a problem. it It took me a while to get over it. All of creation is waiting for redemption. All of creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation is waiting for the second coming of Christ. This is our hope in the second advent. This is our motivation. Not the fears of this world. Not the conspiracies of this world. Don't believe every conspiracy. Don't believe every fear. Don't fear as the world fears. Be foolish to the world. Look at the words of God. Put your hope in the promises of God. This is the message of hope of the Bible. Don't put your hope in people. Don't put your hope in yourself. And this is a big one for us Americans. Don't put your hope in comfort. That's easy to do. As we continue on this series here, my prayer for you is that this wouldn't just be a season of Advent. That all throughout the year, we would focus on hope, joy, peace, and love. That these would be the heart condition that we would have. As we look at these themes over these next four weeks in Scripture, my question for you guys Is this what your heart reveals? Where is your hope? Where is your peace? Where is your joy? Where is your love? Are you like Ahaz? Are you like a wild grape? Have you never heard these things before? You've already missed the first advent. It's not too late. The gift is still available. But at the second advent, It's over. It's gone. This is a time of waiting. Don't waste it worrying about things that don't matter. 